You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to a new episode of the Rua Space Podcast, where we look to make space for the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. I'm Phil Vestal, and I'm really excited to bring you a very special interview episode today with Father Albert Hass. I'm really honored that he agreed to come onto the podcast as we discuss some of the ideas around his book, Becoming an Ordinary Mystic. I love this episode because Father Albert takes us everywhere from what he calls the ego obsessions and the sacrament of the present moment, all the way to a four-step, 30-second spiritual discipline that can be practiced anywhere at any time. We believe at Rua Space it's important to make space for the Spirit, that we cultivate a life in the present moment. And Father Albert walks us through what that can look like, no matter who we are, no matter where we are. That, as he says, the spiritual journey is a journey to the here and now. So I believe throughout this episode you'll be challenged, you will be encouraged, and that you will be equipped. And on top of that... Albert has a phenomenal New Orleans accent. So for nothing else, this episode is worth listening to because just hearing his voice is a blessing in and of itself. So thank you guys so much for joining us, brothers and sisters. I pray that you are blessed by this episode, and I pray that you learn how to make space for the Holy Spirit as God reveals God's self to us in the present moment, inviting us into a deeper relationship with God and with our own life. So brothers and sisters, here's our Rua Space interview with Father Albert Hess. Good morning. Morning. How are you? I'm doing fine, Phil. Doing fine. Father Albert, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having Thanks for having me. I'm delighted. It's such an honor. You know, I uh, I plan on getting through more of your books. You've written quite a lot. Um, I love it That is amazing. But so far, it's just been uh, the becoming an ordinary mystic. That oh, was that mm. was kind of where I kicked off the journey, and it blew me away. So thank you. It was oh. a blessing to me. Well, thank you. I appreciate hearing that, Phil. What I was hoping we could start with is mm-hmm. the importance of the present moment. And mm-hmm. in your book, you return a lot to it as the present moment being an ambassador. So could right. we just start there and talk a little yeah. bit about that importance? Sure. So, look, so let me, let's talk about why, because right now, right now, there's a lot of stuff on the internet. You hear a lot of stuff about the importance of living in the present moment. But most people think of it only as, well, you know, you have to live in the present moment because in point of fact, there's no such thing as a past. There's no such thing as the future. The only thing that is real is the present moment. But I think as Christians and as disciples of Christ, there is a fundamental reason why we should live in the present moment. And that idea comes from the 18th century text that was written by the name Abandonment to Divine Providence. And it's traditionally ascribed to a man by the name of Jean-Pierre de Cossard. We now suspect he probably did not write it, but it's always been 
traditionally attributed to Descartes. Anyway, in that book, Descartes uses this interesting expression. He talks about the present moment being a sacrament. And and he's a Catholic. And so when a Catholic uses the word sacrament, that right away puts the person in a very unique space. Because as Catholics, we believe there are seven sacraments. And a sacrament is simply a unique encounter with some aspect of God or some aspect of Jesus or his ministry or his life. So the fact that the author of Abandonment to Divine Providence calls the present moment a sacrament right away tips us off that there is something holy Mm. about here and now. And then in chapter 10, he goes on and he has that beautiful sentence where he says, Every moment we live through is an ambassador that declares the will of God. So the reason why the present moment is a sacrament is because it's only in the present moment that I discover the will of God. Because God reveals to me what he wants me to do in the unmet need or the required duty of the present moment. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's an ambassador. And so when, when I talk about living in the, people oftentimes will criticize me and they'll say, oh, but you know, I've got two, like you and your wife, I've got two kids to raise. I just can't lollygag in the present moment. I have to be concerned about the future and, and earning a living, that kind of thing. And I always tell people, it's not a question of choosing between the past the present or the future. It's all about living in the present and letting the present tell me what I must do. And so if the present moment is telling me to live in the future and prepare my my shopping list for, for groceries, well, then I live in the future and I plan my future. Or if the present moment is encouraging me to take a look at my past and maybe do a moral inventory of my past life, well, then I live in the past. Hmm. But So it's not a question of choosing between the past, present, and the future. It's all about living in this sacrament and letting this ambassador tell me what is God's will for me. And if I could just go on and make one other little comment, Phil. Of course. <laughs> you know... Guilt, worry, and anxiety are learned behaviors. Guilt mm. and worry are when we, guilt guilt is when we live in the past. Worry and anxiety are when we live in the future. But what's interesting about guilt, worry, and anxiety is, are, is they are learned behaviors. They are not natural. When you look at a newborn child, a newborn child does not know the past. A newborn child does not know the future. So a newborn child does not know guilt. And a newborn child does not know worry and anxiety. Hmm. But watch that kid as he grows up. And the little boy comes home from school one day. And his mother says to him, you just wait till your daddy comes home. You're in big trouble. And the little boy learns guilt or the little girl hears her mother and father talking and she hears the husband say to the wife honey I don't think we're going to have enough money to pay the bills this week this month and the little girl learns worry and anxiety 
So guilt, worry, and anxiety are not natural. They are learned behaviors. And I think this is part of what Jesus is getting at when he says, if you want to enter the kingdom, you must become like a child. We have mm. to unlearn. We have to unlearn all of this stuff. We have, to, And that's why he spends so much of his ministry freeing people from their guilt, his ministry of reconciling sinners. And this is why he will tell us in Matthew chapter 5, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap. So don't worry about tomorrow. So Jesus is trying his best to get us back into this sacrament of the present moment because this is where we discover what God is asking of me right now. And I discover it in the unmet need or the required duty of this present moment. Amen. I, you know, I, I, as you were talking about um, the child coming to learn these things, it reminded me of what you describe as the ego obsessions, right? That yeah. these are kind of the things that pull us out of the present moment, right? And pull us away from God's invitation to what we're doing. So explain a little about how that gets shaped then, what what it is in oh. us, because I think oh, for a lot of people, and this is something I've learned is I've really kind of taken meditation and such more seriously, is learning that what my mind tells me isn't always real or isn't always what I truly need to act on. Yeah, so so let's talk about those four ego obsessions. Let me first of all tell you what they are, and then let me tell you how they get formed. So the four ego obsessions are self-concern, which is a, which is a big question of always, what's in it for me? Self-image, which is a big concern of my reputation, will I look like a fool? Self-preservation, will I have enough food, will I have enough money? And self-gratification, will I feel good? Mm -hmm. So those are the four ego obsessions that really, that are always working in our lives. Self-concern, self-image, self-preservation, self-gratification. The reason why they become operative in our lives, and one of them usually is more important to a person than the others, is because what you lacked in your childhood or what you think you lacked in your childhood in the adult becomes the ego obsession. So all of us, all of us have what I like to call and what I call in the book, all of us have what I call cracks in the soul. And those cracks develop because either what I did not have in my childhood or what I think mm. I did not have in my childhood because perception forms reality. So, so as I grow up, if for instance, if I come from a very poor family, I'm gonna probably be the ego obsession that I will, that most of my energies will circulate around will probably be that of self-preservation. I'm going to always want to make sure I have enough money, enough food. Or if I didn't feel if I didn't feel like I was loved enough, well then my ego obsession might be self-gratification that I'm always looking looking for love in all the wrong places. I'm always trying to make myself feel good. Or if I was a middle child and I never felt like I got enough attention, well, then my ego obsession might become that of self-concern or mm. self-image. So all of this stuff get, is rooted in our childhood in so many ways. And 
this is where the wisdom of Jesus comes into play. Because I have a whole chapter in the book that I call Jesus, the Master Electrician. Rewiring. <laughs> rewiring our thinking. And this is the real wisdom of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, what we traditionally call the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. And so for people who really and truly think that they need money in order to be happy, so their, their, self, their, their ego obsession is that with self-preservation, Jesus says, no. He says, Blessed are the poor. <laughs> for people for people who really and truly think they need power in order to be happy, Jesus says, no, blessed are the meek. For people, you know, who think that they have to always feel good in order to be happy, Jesus says, no, blessed are you when you mourn. Or for people who are obsessed with their uh, reputation, Jesus says, wait a minute, blessed are you when they curse you and they call you all kinds of names. So in effect, what Jesus is doing is he's trying to rewire our thinking about the ego obsessions. So it starts in the Beatitudes, but then when you continue through the Sermon on the Mount, so when you continue through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and you have that list of the four, the four ego obsessions in front of you, you will see Jesus is systematically trying to get us to rethink how we consider what is happiness and what is being blessed. And this is why St. Paul will tell us, put on the mind of Christ, change your thinking. In Romans, Paul says, you know, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Mm. So it really all begins in how we think because our thoughts are absolutely imperative. Our thoughts shape our spiritual lives. So when we come to realize that, and we say, okay, I recognize my attachment to needing money or needing to have my voice heard or needing a certain level of notoriety because that's where my fulfillment comes from. But then somewhere inside, no, but I desire a relationship with God and what God has. Where do you go next? So like so, once we know it, what do we do? Okay, so, so, so let, me, let me give you, I, I use two examples in the book. Let me give you the two examples in the book, from the book. So in the book I talk about, I forget what I call him, I'll call him Dennis right now. <laughs> and Dennis has a really, really bad habit because he has a very high stressful work and so when he comes home to his wife and his two kids, by the time he gets home, the kids are already asleep and the wife might be in bed, you know, waiting around for Dennis to return. Well, Dennis has developed this really bad habit of when he comes home, he wants to relax. And so what he ends up doing is his ego obsession is self-gratification. So he right away tends to go to inappropriate Internet sites to kind of relax with. So, so what I tell Dennis is... The next time you get home, and you know the mating dance, you know exactly when you're going to head to the keyboard and you're going to start going to those inappropriate websites, stop, take a breath, and then say to yourself, this is not going to make me happy. This is, a, this is a momentary kind of thrill, but it's not going to super satisfy me. And if you can do that 30 
consecutive times, you have broken a bad habit and established a new habit. Because psychologists tell us it takes 30 consecutive choices to form a habit. So for, for Dennis, that's what I would tell him. Or I, I, use, I use another example in the book. I forget what I call her. I'm going to call I'll name her after my mother. Let's call her Rita. <laughs> And Rita, Rita is small of stature. And so she always feels at work, and she's a manager, and she always feels at work that nobody really respects her. And so sometimes she has to kind of beat her fist on, on the table, you know, to kind of get people to listen to her. Because, because being small of stature, she thinks nobody pays attention to her. So she's in a business meeting. She's in a business meeting, and again, that temptation arises that she's beginning to think people are not listening to me. But she deliberately says, no, I'm not going to raise my voice. I'm going to choose first the kingdom of God, and I'm just going to sit here and let people have their say. And so she's now established this routine of standing up and saying no in a very real way to this kind of her self-image, which is so broken because of her, of her small height. So those are practical ways. And as we, as we find ourselves, this is how the kingdom of God emerges in our lives, that the more we, we learn to resist the temptations of the devil, and the more we deliberately choose the kingdom of God, this is how the kingdom becomes reality in our very lives. And so this is something that's constantly going on each and every day of our life. So it's not like you ever reach it completely. And if I could just say one last thing, Dennis, I mean, Phil and I apologize for talking so much, but if I could just say one more thing, and it's this, whether it's dealing with our prayer life, whether it's dealing with spiritual practices, whether it's dealing with trying to live a more moral life of integrity, we always have to remember it doesn't happen by osmosis. We have to be willing to work at it. God is constantly offering us the grace, but he requires us to respond to that grace. And so I, I think sometimes people get a little bit discouraged because they'll start taking seriously the life of prayer or they'll start taking seriously it once a week. They'll, they'll maybe do a day of fasting. And then after a month, they look over the past month and they say, well, I'm still the mean, terrible person I always was. None of this is having any effect. I'm going to give up on it. And so you have to always remember that when we deal with spiritual practices, when we talk about growing in, in the spiritual life, you got to be in it for the long haul because it just doesn't happen instantaneously and it does not happen by osmosis. And I love something you said that in both of your examples, they were down to earth, real life things that happen in the moment. And I think for some people, and I've actually had someone send this to me because they were they were upset about something else and they, they messaged like, well, I have little kids and I don't have time to set aside an hour to do this type of prayer or Lectio Divina or whatever. So it wasn't as much a question as an accusation, but I think there is a real question rooted in there. And I think you, you brought it up in the beginning of our conversation around, hey, you know, I have two small boys, I have this to worry about, that to do. 
And I think it's sometimes we think of the spiritual disciplines as I need to set aside four hours, right? To be in silence and pray. But what you were talking about just then was in the moment of the thing that was in the mundane, the spiritual discipline was practiced in the midst of real life. Well, ex- you know, let, let me give you a perfect example. Cause you, you mentioned about you having the, the two boys, two and four. So let's say for instance, let's say for instance, you're away at your church and your wife is home and she puts the two year old down for a little nap. And then she puts the four year old down for a little nap. And she says to herself, you know, now that the house is quiet, the two kids are taking a nap, I'm just going to lay on the sofa and I'm going to take a quick little cat nap myself. Well, no sooner does she lay on the couch when all of a sudden the two-year-old wakes up and starts crying. So what is the ambassador of the present moment saying to her? Saying It's saying to her, get up and go and hold your two-year-old. And that's a spiritual practice. Because you're re- you're responding to the sacrament of the present moment. The present moment, this ambassador will tell you what to do in the unmet need or the required duty. And so I think sometimes all for all of us, we might have we might have our very specific spiritual practices, but we have to also remember life is a spiritual practice. <laughs> Just showing up for life, just trying to be kind and, and, and working on being a person of integrity. That's a spiritual practice as well. And I think sometimes we don't think of them as spiritual practices. Or how, how many times have people said to me, I, I, I'll, I'll talk about, you know, the importance of forgiving. And they'll, they'll, they kind of look at me and I say, well, forgiveness is a spiritual practice. As a matter of fact, it's the only spiritual practice mentioned in the Lord's Prayer. So, I mean, this is like one of the fundamental, and yet so many people don't think of forgiveness as a spiritual practice. So I think we really need to kind of broaden our understanding of what a spiritual practice is, you know. I, I mentioned in the book, you know, I have never been, even though I'm a Franciscan friar, fasting just doesn't do it for me. I have tried. (laughs) I have tried. Every time I try to fast, I end up becoming irritable, and I end up thinking more about Popeye's fried chicken than than I do about anything spiritual. But then it dawned on me a couple of years ago, you know, there are other ways of fasting. There are things like fasting from checking my email and and maybe reaching out to someone in need. Or it might be fasting from my favorite television show and and spending some time with with my son or my daughter. You know, so so I think sometimes we need to kind of expand Mm. our understanding of spiritual practices because what's important about a spiritual practice is not what you do. It's the intention with which you do it. Yes. That's the key. I love that. And so if, you know, if it's a question of surprising your wife with some flowers, and and that can become a spiritual practice when you do it with that kind of intention of deepening your relationship with your spouse. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's why we we called our site, our ministry, Ruah Space from Ruach, right? This idea of making space for the spirit. Mm -hmm. And 
that can happen in every moment. I mean, this is why I love the name of your book. You you got there before me. I would have loved to call a book this someday. So, uh, you know, but this is great because ordinary mystic. Because, you know, like I'm starting to read more of like Teresa of St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, right? And there's so much to learn from them. But again, you can get the idea. And, and again, we're not against this. We do a Lectio Divina Live every Sunday night. And we encourage different practices. But this idea of being an ordinary mystic happening in the mundane stuff of the present moment, being just right here, sort of right now. So how, how, what's that? Can I, can I just say something about that? Take over because, and go. Yes. Well, <laughs> you know, only because, you know, it's, it, I was recently on, on a radio show with an evangelical and he was saying, you know, father, he says this idea of mysticism, I'm really, really uncomfortable with it because mysticism is, is, is kind of like that's for the spiritual, spiritual Marines, you know, and even <laughs> in my own Catholic tradition, a lot of people, they, they, they tend to shy away from that word mysticism and they kind of they, they get a little bit nervous. But, you know, it's important to remember that. Any disciple of Jesus is called to be a mystic because a mystic is simply someone who is aware and lives with the awareness that God wants to come deeper into my life. And that's what mysticism is. It's living with that awareness at each and every moment of my life. God is trying to come more deeply and wants to have a deeper relationship with me. And so really, the the, the journey of the disciple is really the journal, journey of the mystic. Mm-hmm. That all of us are called in ordinary ways to let God in deeper into our lives and so the more we live with that awareness that god is always with us we're surrounded by god you know saint paul says in the act of the apostles in god we live we move we have our very being so it's like god is like the air we breathe and he's trying to get more and more deeply into my dna and it's because of my sin that my sin that I sabotage God coming more deeply into my life. I always like to tell people, and if I could just tell you, you and your listeners this, you know, the great insight of the spiritual life is written on every automobile because it's on the passenger side rear view mirror. <laughs> At the bottom, it says objects in mirror are closer than they appear. And I always tell people, scratch out the word objects and put God. Mm. God is closer than God appears. And I think as we grow on the spiritual journey, we become more and more aware of that. You know, And that's really what the mystical journey is, to become more and more aware of the presence of God that surrounds me like the air I breathe. Yeah, I love that. In your book, you talk about God's ardent longing and enthusiastic invitation to a deeper relationship. That that's, that's on like every page of the book because that's really being in the moment, right, is tapping into that understanding of God desiring us to go deeper. And that to me is kind of the key because in the stories of, you know, the the woman who wants to silence others so that her voice can be heard in the meeting, right? Which could be a man too, right? It could be anybody we silence in order to be heard. Or we come home and we go and look at things or participate in something that we shouldn't. And you said in that moment to stop and breathe 
and I think some people might say, well, easier said than done, right? But oh, I think, but I think what you're saying though is, is as we cultivate a present moment awareness of God is calling me even now into a deeper relationship. So how, what kind of, how can we cultivate that sense? Like what, what do you kind of do? Or as you are growing into being the man that you are now, what, what did that look like? How do you cultivate that awareness so that in the moment you can return to your breath? Yeah, so let me let me walk you through. Well, I mentioned this in the book. Let me walk you through a four-step method, and and before I before I even before I even talk walk you through this method, let me make it clear: you're going to do this method only for thirty seconds. So you're not going to spend twenty minutes, thirty minutes, an hour doing this. You're going to do it thirty seconds, and you're going to do it five times a day, and it will help you to live in the present moment. When I was growing up in New Orleans, I still remember I was about five or six years old, and my mother took me to the corner of Fountain Blue Drive in South Salcedo, and she said to me, I'm going to show you now how to cross a street. <laughs> and she taught me the four steps of crossing a street. Stop, look, listen, then go. Yeah. And it was about eight years ago, it dawned on me, that is a great spiritual practice for living in the present moment. That I, first of all, I stop because most of us mentally are all over the place. So I stop, I take a few deep breaths and I call myself back to this present moment. And so taking a deep breath, taking two or three deep breaths helps me to stop by locating in the past or the future. And I come back to the here and now. So I stop. Then I open up my eyes and I look. In other words, what are my senses registering? Am I tasting? Am I tasting my seafood gumbo? Am I feeling the softness of the baby's skin? Am I really listening to the birds? Am I really looking at the beautiful sunset? So the second step is I pay attention to what my senses are registering. Why? Because the senses are the tabernacle key that open up the sacrament of the present moment. This moment will never happen again. And so I try to live it with my senses. Then after I look, I then listen. And what I mean by that is I then ask myself, what is the present moment, this ambassador, what is this ambassador asking of me? What is it calling me to do in the unmet need of the required duty of the present moment? So that might, it might mean beginning to prepare the, the dinner for this night. It might mean putting clothes in the dryer. It might mean being attentive to my child. So what is the unmet need or required duty? And then the fourth step, go, which simply means I respond, I do it. Stop, look, listen, go. If, Phil, if we could learn to do that five times a day, 30 seconds each is five times a day, you will one day wake up and suddenly discover without even being aware of it, you are living in the present moment. Mm. Because again, it doesn't happen by osmosis. So you have to start somewhere. And I have found that that simple little four-step method of stop, look, listen, go, do it five or six times a day, 
Do it on the run. Do it while you stopped at a stoplight. Do it while you're, wash, you're, you're walking to the washing machine. It becomes second nature after a while. And this is what living in the present moment is all about. And this is when you then begin to discover just how holy the present moment is. Because at every moment, God is asking, inviting me to open up the door of my heart just a little bit wider. Again, it's in no matter what's going on, this applies and this is an invitation. And so the present moment could be whether you're in an executive boardroom or pumping gas at a gas station or, you know, dealing with a crying baby or in a retirement home, wherever it might be. Um, we can connect to God and God is calling each individual person, each community into mm -hmm. that deeper relationship. And I like what you said at the end in terms of go. Because this this seems to me that, again, our, our spiritual life, our becoming present in the moment, our becoming mindful of the ambassador is going to call us to act, right? That it doesn't stay in our mind, but leads to an action, some way yeah. we live this out. Well, sure. I mean, this is this is what this is what isn't this what being a disciple is all about? It's it's all about helping to helping Jesus to make this kingdom a reality. And the only way we can help Jesus make the kingdom of God a reality, we just don't do that with our thoughts. We have to also do it with our lives, you know. And so there is a real strong sense of all spirituality and the entire spiritual life has to be incarnational, meaning it's got to translate into action because Jesus just didn't come down as a word of God. Jesus came as a word of God made flesh, made <laughs> flesh. And so it's the same thing for all of us, you know, that we are challenged to make flesh this kind of reality of the kingdom in our lives. Yeah. And it helps us respond to those ways that our ego obsessions, right? It helps yeah. us that then we actually do something about it. We come to know what they are, which can be scary, right? right. When you when you come to learn yeah. what that, that, that painful childhood part or that, you know, it can be hard. But I think that's also why God blessed us with community, right? So what do you, what do you feel like? Because we, we just have a couple minutes and I, I you know, I want to do kind of two things. One, can you talk about the role of community in all of this and having others? Because one thing, I noticed in your book is constantly talking about how you were able to take something to a trusted person in your life who could speak into that. Um, so if we could start there and then there's one other thing. Okay. Well, so when we talk about community, first of all, I'm a big proponent and, and more and more people are, are discovering the importance of having a spiritual director. Somebody that you go to on a monthly basis, you spend 50 minutes with them, and you talk about what are you struggling with. You talk about how are you trying to make real, make real this invitation of God to come more deeply into your life. But it's also important to remember, you know, you mentioned John, you're reading John of the Cross. There's that wonderful story from the life of John of the Cross, where one day one of the young uh, friars in the Carmelite order went to St. John of the Cross. And he was complaining to John of the Cross. And he was saying, you know, there's this guy over there and, he, and I'm having a hard time getting along with him. And he's really, he's always causing me all kind of headaches. And John of the Cross said, remember, God put him in your life to help you 
grow in being a disciple of Jesus because he's teaching you how to forgive and how to die to yourself. And so really, there's no such thing, any kind of a spirituality that tells us we have to disengage from the world or we have to disengage from people. That's not Christian. Remember, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. And so all of Christian spirituality is always a call to a deeper form of community. It's always a call to enter more deeply into relationship with God and with other people. And on an individual, practical way, I can do that by finding myself a spiritual director that I can check in with mm. once a month. And, and if you don't know any spiritual directors in your area, I always tell people, go to the best website there is, <laughs> www.sdiworld.org. It's the website for Spiritual Directors International, sdiworld.org. You click on Seek and Find, and it's a free source service. You type in your zip code, you answer a few questions, and then you submit it, and then it pops up. It tells you trained spiritual directors in your area. But spiritual direction is a great way also to keep your feet to the fire and to make sure you're being intentional about your spiritual life. Because again, it doesn't happen by osmosis. Uh, absolutely. So as we kind of come to a close, I, I always love to ask people, what is one, th one, two or three, however many, I'm not going to limit you, something you would just want to leave people with, something that either you've been thinking a lot about or something that if you could have just a few sentences, what might that be? Well, you might be a little bit shocked by it, but it's one thing that I'm becoming more and more aware of, and it is simply this. There is nothing to get in the spiritual life because we already have it. Mm. We simply need to become aware of what we already have. And I think what happens is so oftentimes we tend to think of spiritual progress, we tend to think of the spiritual journey as going somewhere else. But in point of fact, the spiritual journey is simply a journey to the here and now, to right now, to this ambassador. So there's really nothing to get in the spiritual journey. It's the challenge is always to become more aware of God's ardent longing and enthusiastic invitation to come deeper into my life. And he can do that. Only if I learn to open up the door of my heart to the here and now. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> it's so, and, and your book has many more practices, like the come as you are prayer. I love the invitation just to come with God as you are. So I highly recommend that one. Maybe we'll have to have you on again. And you can, oh, you can I would talk, love to come back. You can talk, I would love to come back. I love to. Thank you, because we could dive more into that. But now, can you kind of share where can people find you? Because again, I highly recommend your books. Can you tell people what you currently do, where they can find you online, um, where they can find your books, maybe a book you recommend to start with? 
So talk about you for a minute. <laughs> okay, so for one minute. So my or website. More, however many minutes you want. <laughs> so my website is www.albertofm.org. And there they can find all kinds of information. They can find my email address if they want to contact me. They can find all of, all of my books listed. I've written 11 books. I, I'm, I've written 11 books. And I just found out today that InterVarsity Press uh, my very first book with them, Coming Home to Your True Self, Leaving the Emptiness of False Attractions, that has just gone into its 10th printing. Wow. So I just, uh, yes, I just discovered that today. Congrats. They sent, me, they sent me, thank you, thank you. So I've written 11 books, and so people can find out about my books on my website. Are they, if, they, if they go to Amazon.com, they can, they can type in my name and that. I'm currently the chaplain at Cedar Break Catholic Retreat Center in Temple. Texas. And so it's a retreat center where on weekends we offer spiritual practices. We offer different spiritual uh, events and retreats, weekend retreats, days of recollection, different ways to pray, that kind of thing. So it's a wonderful, I, I'm really enjoying it. Been here, And I've been here for one year and two months. And before that, I spent my whole life flying all over the country uh, giving talks, and so I racked up 1.3 million <laughs> frequent flyer miles on United. Wow. So I'm glad to finally be able to feel the grass grow under my feet. Wonderful. And we'll, yeah. we'll have to have you on again to talk about your time in China and so much good sure. stuff. Well, thank you again for your ministry. It's been a blessing to me personally, and I know that this episode will be a blessing to many others. So thank you. Thank you, Phil. I appreciate it. Hello friends, Phil here again. I just wanted to say thanks for joining us for this Rua Space interview with Father Albert Hass. I hope that you are blessed, that you are encouraged, that you are challenged, and my prayer for you as you go forth this day is that you may cultivate space for the Holy Spirit, that you would accept God's invitation in the present moment into a deeper relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and into a deeper relationship with your own life that God has blessed you with. Grace and peace be with you.